0: Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks and coming up today, Motor Trend has announced their 2023 SUV of the year. The Hyundai Ioniq 5 is a historic award winner in more ways than one. We'll talk about it with Motor Trend executive Ed Lowe. Also this morning, the pandemic saw a massive expansion of the federal school lunch program. Now there's a growing movement to make universal free lunches a permanent fixture. We take a closer look. It's make or break time for teams hoping to make the playoffs. We'll get a complete preview of week number 10 of high school football around the area and another collection of yummy recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, October 21st, 2022. In addition to being Back to the Future Day... And you can look it up in the uh, in the movie. It's October twenty first. Uh, Back to the Future Day. It is also Apple Day. It is Celebration of the Mind Day. Check your meds Day. Babbling Day. Just kind of what we do on this program every single day. <laughs> Count your buttons Day. It is Garbanzo Bean Day. I think that's great. I think the Garbanzo Bean is a much maligned bean. I think it deserves its own day. International Day of the Nacho. National Pumpkin Cheesecake Day. And it is Reptile Awareness Day. So reasons to celebrate on this uh, 21st day of October. The World Health Organization published yesterday a 132-page report. And in it, they say that 500 million people, half a billion people on the planet, will develop heart disease, obesity, diabetes, diabetes and other diseases if they don't increase their physical activity. I'm talking to you, Mr. Couch Potato. The Global Status Report on Physical Activity warns That if the 194 countries surveyed do not take urgent action, is the latest thing that we need to take urgent action. If we do not take urgent action, the cost of illnesses related to sedentary lifestyles will total $27 billion a year between now and 2030. $27 billion a year attributed to just the fact that we are not getting enough exercise. Uh, the World Health Organization says quote, "We need more countries to scale up implementation of policies to support people to be more active through walking, cycling, sport, and other physical activity. By the way, the uh, progress uh, the report uh, measures progress by regions not by individual countries. So they're not calling out any individual country, but uh, just regions of the world. And uh, basically, they're saying that everybody needs to do a better job of this. Half a billion people uh, will develop these uh, chronic diseases as a result of lack of activity. And uh, if you are looking to get moving... A new study by the U.S. Military Academy says if you're looking to get moving, try having active friends. You know, they often say that if you uh, want to be successful in life, hang around other successful people. It'll rub off on you. And the same thing can be said for physical activity, according to this study. Being surrounded by moderately active people helps a sedentary person get up and get moving, they say. Now, the same can be said in reverse. If you have inactive friends, you are more likely to be a couch potato as well and do less exercise. So you are the company you keep, basically. Uh, This is just another example of that. Uh, The study examined the fitness routines of students at West Point. And um, now I would think students at West Point aren't they pretty much required to be active to some extent? I mean, they do have like the calisthenics and the, you know, the the things that they may not be as intense as enlisted recruits at boot camp do, but they, they still, you know, have physical fitness tests and, and all of that. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but... Uh, The study examined fitness routines of students at West Point. Moderately active folks were the most important for drawing people who are sedentary to become active and to sustain that activity. According to Dr. Diana Thomas, uh, who I guess was the uh, lead researcher on the study, Uh, basically saying social engineering could be used to encourage people to exercise more. So somebody needs to tell the World Health Organization about that. A lot of uh, older folks uh, these days getting involved and getting more active by playing pickleball. It is the fastest growing new sport out there. Pickleball. If you are not familiar, this mixes elements of tennis, badminton, and ping pong. It is played on a badminton-sized court with a paddle and a plastic ball. And it is all the rage. It started... I think, with uh, older folks um, as an alternative for tennis when you can't run as much as tennis demands. So it's a little more low intensity, but it is really caught on. And um, I-, I have noticed, uh, my wife and I were uh, on vacation and uh, this past summer we spent some time in uh, Milwaukee, actually, of all places. and it it's kind of random, but uh, I noticed that there were a lot of urban pickleball courts, and people, they were filled. Uh, people were playing pickleball all over the place. And it, and it also makes sense because uh, the court uh, is smaller than a traditional tennis court or something like that, and so it can be fit into a smaller space. So that's also, I think, contributing to the popularity of this. There are more places to play. And now, uh, the reason I bring all this up, apparently... Major League Pickleball is a thing. Uh, Investors in this new Professional Pickleball League um, are some pretty heavy hitters in the world of sports. Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Draymond Green, all uh, NBA players have invested in Major League Pickleball, as has Tom Brady. So, how about that? Uh, Apparently, we could see Professional Pickleball before too long. So, uh, let's see, where would you get the pro pickleball players? you have open tryouts or, because I don't know that there is a, uh, a development, a player development program out there for pickleball. I don't think it's played in college, uh, at least not as an organized sport. So. Where the pro pickleball players will come from, but you got to start somewhere, I guess. Here is your daily outrage. I saw this story on the Newswire, and this raised my eyebrow, and I thought, boy, there are going to be people who are not going to be happy to hear this. Pfizer says they expect to basically quadruple the price of their COVID-19 vaccine after the federal government's current purchase program expires. You know that uh, you can get the vaccine basically for free anywhere it's because the federal government has bought up all of the vaccine and making it available to people at no charge. But once they stop doing that, Pfizer executive Angela Lukin uh, said this week the price will be about 110 to $130 per dose. That will be the retail price of the uh, COVID vaccine. 110 to 130 dollars per dose and remember uh the pfizer vaccine is a two-dose regimen right plus all of the boosters and all of that so this is going to get rather pricey ms Lukens says she expects the vaccine that is currently provided for free by the government to be available at no cost to people who have private insurance or insurance uh paid by the government medicare and And so on. The uh, government now pays about $30 per dose. uh, But the uh, vaccines market is expected to move to private insurance after the nation's public health emergency expires. Which I believe is, is that next month or the end of the year or something? Again, there is, we are technically still under a public health emergency uh, as declared by the federal government even though for most folks, the pandemic is now kind of in, uh, in the past. But technically, we're still in a public health emergency. Once that expires, uh, then things will go back to, quote-unquote, normal uh, in the healthcare system. And the uh, pharmaceutical giants like Pfizer will go back to sticking it to all of us in more ways than one, in this case, I guess. Um, and how about this? Speaking of the pandemic, this is one of those things that make you go, hmm, A study by a trio of economists has revealed that the pandemic created something of a mini baby boom. 46,000 more children were born after the start of the pandemic. Uh, What started as a small increase in 2020 became a larger baby bump, in this case a statistical bump, in 2021. So it's just a bit of an increase in 2020. And then we got this uh, baby boom in 2020. Overall, the nation's fertility rate jumped by 6.3%. And uh, the study says the 2021 baby bump is the first major reversal in declining U.S. fertility rates since 2007. And I remember, you know, we've talked about this over the course of many years that our birth rate, uh, is declining and the, as a result, it's the, the birth rate in this country has been, uh, low enough that the population rate births versus deaths is actually going down. We were in negative pop- population growth. And apparently that has now reversed itself. Uh, it says here, the, uh, ma- first major reversal in declining fertility rates since 2007 and was most pronounced, f- most pronounced for first births. Couples with their first children and for women under the age of 25, which is probably not a surprise. Um, this baby boom was seen among college-educated women who were more likely to work from home. So if being focused on career was one of the reasons why fewer young women were having babies at younger ages, uh, working from home may have been the impetus of that these women needed to go ahead and have a baby. Is I going to have a baby? I can work at home. I can be with my child and all that. So they say working from home was the driving factor in this uh, baby boom during the pandemic. Uh, they also said that uh, stimulus funds could have uh, played a role. <laughs> so a uh, stimulus of a whole different kind, I guess. No, but they said uh, that uh, eased some economic fears of uh, not being able to afford a baby and uh, so on and so forth. So really kind of fascinating stuff. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started here.
1: WFIN News, I'm Matt Mcheck. Your WTOL 11 weather becoming mostly sunny today, a high of 68. It'll be mostly clear tonight, a low of 49. The Finley Fire Department says two people were taken to Blanchard Valley Hospital from the scene of a house fire on Thursday morning. The fire was at 315 North Blanchard Street, a little south of Tiffin Avenue. We spoke with Assistant Chief Brian Sanders after they got that fire under control.
2: First arriving crews encountered heavy fire on the three side of the building. And uh, one victim was already out of the house and was laying on the sidewalk in front.
1: He says when firefighters entered the house, they found a second victim on the second floor. Both were taken to Blanchard Valley Hospital from the scene. Crews from all four Finley fire stations responded to the fire. Get more on the website. Early voting is underway in Ohio, and one of the issues on every ballot is Issue 1, which focuses on changing how bail is set.
0: It requires judges to consider public safety and criminal records when setting bail amounts. Supporters say it would allow higher amounts to be set and avoid suspects
3: to commit more crimes when they're out on bail. The ACLU of Ohio is against Issue 1. The group says it would only allow wealthy people to purchase their
0: freedom, and that cash bail should not be used as a way to keep people In jail, but to ensure
3: that they will return to
1: court. ONN's Gabriella Garcia reporting. Get more on the website. The Finley Rotary Club presented its 2022 Golden Apple Awards to three area teachers for their teaching excellence. The winner at the high school level was Becky Booker, business, family, and consumer sciences teacher at Corey Rawson High School one of my students nominated me they wrote a letter of recommendation it was four pages long and i read that letter and i said i knew i was a winner then because somebody in my classroom felt that strongly about what i do and how i make a difference in their life you can get more of our conversation with becky and see the winners at all grade levels on the website drivers are being reminded that we're entering peak time for deer related crashes in ohio Drivers are encouraged to use extra caution and slow down, especially at dawn and dusk when deer are more active. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com.
0: So as you may have heard by now, Motor Trend has announced its 2023 SUV of the Year. Ed Lowe is the head of editorial at Motor Trend Group. And Ed, you know, historically, the car of the year has been the big prize, and you still do that. It's still a big deal, obviously. But given the nature of the automotive market today, how popular sport utility vehicles are, I wonder if SUV of the year is maybe even a bigger deal.
4: That's a very astute observation, and you are 100% correct. We've been doing car of the year since the establishment of Motor Trend in 1949, so going on almost 75 years now. But really, uh, the big, the hottest segment for years now has been SUVs and crossovers uh, that's really taken over. Just look at all the different manufacturers that are no longer producing cars. Check out Ford Motor Company, for instance. The only car, actual vehicle they produce that's not an SUV is the Ford Mustang. Yeah. All the other sedans are gone. Everybody is in this SUV and crossover space. And for our SUV the year program this year, we had 45 vehicles in the mix, which is a huge number. And what's even more incredible is that more than half that field was electrified. Some form of electrification, either hybrid plug-in hybrid, or full electric.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting, and you talk about uh, SUVs slash crossovers. I was reading the piece on the website about this year's award winner, and the very first sentence posed that question, what is an SUV, pointing out that this is a vehicle category that's kind of a challenge to define, and I would imagine that makes it something of a challenge to whittle down all of those candidates to just one.
4: Yes, again, very very good question. You know, we've been dealing with manufacturers that, this- trying to define or redefine what an SUV is for for years, and we've basically given up. Uh, You know, (laughs) in our mind, an SUV should probably be a a larger vehicle with lots of room for people and stuff inside. Drivers want to sit high. That's probably the biggest difference from a a car and and an SUV is they want to be able to see, at least be on the same level or see over the big truck or other SUV in front of them. So Mm. high seating position, big deal. But then um, the point of contention ends up being All-wheel drive, we're not. And a lot of manufacturers want to send us like a front-wheel drive, quote-unquote, SUV. And we just go, okay, you know what? We're going to stop arguing with you. Send us what you think is an SUV. But if it gets stuck on our off-road course, that's not our fault. <laughs> so that's, fair that's point. kind of been elitist litmus at, uh, for us. That's, yeah, but that, yeah, hugely
0: competitive. That, that does seem fair. Um, and, and along those same lines, how does Motor Trend select the Sport Utility Vehicle of the Year? I mean, what factors are the same as the Car and Truck of the Year awards and what ones are unique to SUVs in particular?
4: We actually use the same uh, overall system for each awards program, which is, I think, unique. Uh, in, in, uh, for any media outlet doing these kinds of programs. We don't compare the vehicles against one another. That's sort of the, the biggest key thing to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, we have 45 vehicles out there this year. They're, they're, very, they're all very different. It would be impossible to compare like a $150,000 Range Rover against, uh, you know, a, a $30,000 Honda, you know, CRV. So what we do is we compare the vehicles against our six cri- sixty criteria. We look at value, safety, fuel economy, design, engineering, and then one we call performative intended function. So if it's an SUV we're looking at, how well did it execute its mission of being an SUV? And uh, we have a bunch of judges, a bunch of editors. We get together. We drive all the vehicles. We look at them against these criteria. We argue for a few hours. We vote. We pick one historic winner.
0: And now with all of that uh, preliminary stuff out of the way, this year's Motor Trend 2023 SUV of the Year is what and why?
4: It's a historic, it's a historic win. Motor Trend's 2023 SUV of the Year is the Hyundai Ioniq 5. And uh, it is the first time Hyundai has won one of these awards, uh, SUV of the Year. It's also Motor Trend's first ever all-electric SUV of the Year winner. And uh, that's really one of the biggest reasons why I won. The Ionic 5 uh, is an EV uh, with the biggest battery and a single motor. It gets over 300 miles of range. Um, it has one of the fastest, the best electrical uh, charging systems currently in the industry. It's an 800-volt system. And what that means is when you take the car down to like 10% range, so let's say 30 miles left, you can take it back to 80% battery in like 18 minutes on a DC fast charger. And that's game changing for people who are considering owning an EV to be able to add, you know, over 200 miles in 18 minutes is, is uh, a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, The other thing we looked at is, uh, is price starts at just over $40,000. And uh, again, another game changer for, for the segment.
0: Yeah, very uh, uh, very significant for an all electric vehicle. And as you were mentioning earlier, uh, a fair number of the competitors were electric, uh, at at least hybrid, if not all electric vehicles. So it was really kind of only a matter of time before an EV was named SUV of the year.
4: Yes, you know we've had a long history of of covering the industry, and we've actually been been uh, ahead of the game in terms of picking winners. That are electrified. Uh, our first electric car of the year was 10 years ago with the Tesla Model S. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've picked a couple of other cars of the year that are electric. And last year, we picked our first electric truck of the year, the Rivian R1T. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. In this segment, the most competitive in the industry, huge win for Hyundai and the Ionic Five. Just based on. How many of their electrified and full electric vehicles were in the mix?
0: And and really a uh, significant uh, accomplishment for Hyundai, which uh, again, folks remember uh, back in the early days uh, of the company's appearance in the marketplace, was kind of a uh, a budget vehicle, maybe not the best quality, uh, kind of had a bit of a reputation, and they have uh, clearly. Uh, establish themselves as a significant player in the industry.
4: For sure. And, yeah, they, they are proud of their roots. You know, they came in here at broke into the U.S. market as an economy, you know, affordable, uh, you know, uh, player in the small car game. Mm-hmm. But they have, have iterated and moved faster than, than almost anybody to get to this level of delivering both um, lots of technology, great EV range, a wide range of vehicles, including gas engines, hybrids, and plug-in hybrids, but leading with things like design, if, you're, if your listeners can pull up a, an image of the Hyundai Ioniq 5, and it's spelled with a Q, I-O-N-I-Q 5, Hyundai Ioniq 5, car looks phenomenal. I mean, it looks, it's got this cyberpunk, retrofuturism, like nothing else on the road, really really eye-catching design, but they back it up with serious technology and some really great features. And the other thing I forgot to mention, it's one of the safest cars you can get on the road, too. It's got the uh, Institute, uh, Insurance Institute of Highway Safety top safety pick plus, which is the highest achievement you can get from a safety perspective. So it really, we had to pick it as yep. our SUV
0: of the year winner. Uh, again, the Hyundai Ionic 5, the 2023 SUV of the year from a very crowded field. And that's not to say that the other candidates aren't uh, great uh, options as well. Ed Lowe is head of editorial at Motor Trend Group. Where can folks get more information on the winning vehicle and all of the other ones that, are, uh, that were in contention as well?
4: So for more on Motor Trend's 2023 SUV of the Year program and the winner, the Hyundai IONIQ 5, you can go to MotorTrend.com or pick up the next issue of Motor Trend magazine.
0: Ed, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, of course, one of the issues that garnered a lot of coverage during the pandemic was the fact that for millions of children across the country, school meals are a lifeline, providing many with uh, half or more of their daily calories, and for some, serving as the only consistent source of nutritious food. Those child nutrition waivers that provided kids universally with school meals at no cost during the pandemic, though, expired at the end of the summer. And so, where does that leave us? The American Heart Association is among the groups concerned about the lingering effects from the pandemic on nutrition security, as well as the need to increase access to healthy school meals. And Joining us is uh, CEO Nancy Brown. Uh, With the pandemic pretty much behind us now, things having pretty much returned to normal, how has the pandemic, though, continued to impact nutrition security for families?
3: Chris, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about this really critical issue for the health of our children in Toledo and in this country Um, As you mentioned, the COVID pandemic really underscored how vital school meal programs are because we know that children, as you stated, get up to half or more of their daily calories at school. And it's important to note that for many children in this country, school meals are their only consistent source of nutritious meals in a day. And so the policies that provided schools with school meals at no cost during the pandemic expired at the end of the summer, resulting in millions of students having lost their automatic access to nutritious meals, creating what we call a nutrition cliff that threatens their the health and the academic success of these children.
0: So again, prior to the pandemic, um, you know... It, like I said, we we pretty much went back to the uh, operating uh, procedure that we had for school lunches before the pandemic. Is kind of where we are now. Um, was that always deficient? We just didn't realize it. I, I guess my question is: for a lot of folks, will say, "Well, we've just gotten back to where we were. We haven't really moved backwards from where we started. Why was why is that not enough?"
3: Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to really amplify a really important point. You know, during the pandemic, when all children were provided access to healthful school meals, we recognize, with an exclamation point the importance of making sure that every child in this country has access to healthy food during a given day. And you're absolutely right. Prior to the pandemic, there was the system of free or reduced school lunch programs, which is now in effect in most states in this country where the states have not passed their own legislation to continue Mm -hmm. the free lunch program for all. And it's important to recognize that a few things happen in this system um, that we're currently operating under and the old system pre-pandemic. Number one is the idea that nutritious um, school lunch is being provided to all, means that kids are getting consistently exposed to more fruits and vegetables, less salt, sugar, and saturated fat, which is important to their long-term health. This is why these nutrition standards also really matter. And secondly, we know that we need to reduce the stigma of children in certain income groups being provided meals at uh, low or no cost and other children you know, paying full price for their meals. This yeah. is a um, system that really is not helpful to creating an environment where all children can be healthy and where all children can, you know, be on equal footing in school.
0: You reference the nutrition standards, which is kind of the flip side of the same coin. Um, are there is there more that should be done with respect to nutrition standards? Not Again, it's not like we haven't revisited this topic from time to time uh, over the course of uh, the past uh, number of years. Is it time to look at this again? Are we doing enough with respect to nutrition standards?
3: We believe at the American Heart Association that consistently applied science-based nutrition standards are critical for every school lunch program in America. And as I mentioned, you know, availability of fruits and vegetables, less salt, less sugar, less saturated fat in meals served to our children are really important. And having Congress act to make sure that these school nutrition, nutritious standards are strong and uniformly applied is really our goal.
0: At the same time, and again, playing devil's advocate here, uh, we know that in the past, when those new nutrition standards uh, have uh, been attempted to be uh, strengthened and improved, that there has been pushback uh, from parents, uh, in some cases from school districts themselves, uh, regarding those uh, standards and requirements and so on. How do we convince uh, uh the the stakeholders that this is the right thing to do to continue to move in that uh, direction uh, and avoid the pushback?
3: You know, that's a really great question. And what we know is the latest nutrition standards update um, really have aligned the science for optimal health for children so that they can try, thrive physically and academically. And that's what every parent should want for their child. Um, For them to be in the best physical health and for them to have the nutritious food that allows them to thrive academically. We also know that 86% of American adults support the science-based nutrition standards and they think that these standards should stay the same, excuse me, stay the same or be strengthened in schools and their communities. And we know that students who have grown up eating from programs that have implemented the standards for the past 10 years readily accept healthy foods. Uh, Children are resilient. And there are lots of best practices out there on how to engage children to accept and like healthier food, It
0: is certainly well established that uh, it it does help uh, instill healthy habits uh, that last uh, beyond childhood and into adulthood. So uh, certainly a a point well taken there. Uh, Would it be fair to say that you see this in the aftermath of the pandemic, while, uh, again, so much attention was focused on this during the pandemic, that you see this as a window of opportunity to get these things done? And what will it take Uh, to further that agenda and 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 make these changes that you want to see made moving forward and and make them permanent changes
3: it absolutely is a window of opportunity and you know when the school lunch program and nutrition standards expired at the end of last school year they were extended until september 30th and now they have expired many states have stepped in and have taken action themselves and we urge all states that have not done that to take that action to provide these nutritious meals at no cost to all children through the end of this calendar or this this, uh, school year so that all children can continue to have access. Well, Congress does its job. And what Congress's job is, is to pass long overdue legislation to increase access to healthy school meals at no cost to families and just strengthen the child nutrition standards.
0: Again, American Heart Association CEO Nancy Brown with us this morning talking about the importance of uh, school nutrition and uh, providing uh, healthy meals to students universally. Where do we get more information uh, on this issue and the American Heart Association's position with respect to this issue?
3: Thank you, Chris. You can reach the American Heart Association anytime by visiting um, our website at heart.org. And you can help us by texting LUNCH to 46839. And that will add your voice to urging Congress to ensuring that as many children as possible have access to healthy school meals at little or no cost.
0: Nancy Brown, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We
3: appreciate it. Thank you so much.
2: I'm John Marshall with this High School Football Preview. A number of various schools are trying to solidify postseason berths as we reach Week 10. Liberty Benton meets Macomb tonight in a game that will determine the winner of the Blanchard Valley Conference. If LB wins, the Eagles will likely share the title with Macomb, Arlington, and Pandora-Galboa. A Macomb win puts the Panthers on top alone. Liberty Benton coach Scott Garlock.
4: The key is for us to be physical and match their their toughness. You know They're going to be well coached, they're going to be disciplined. But if our kids can't match that toughness, it's
2: going to be a long night. You can hear that game tonight on 100.5 WKXA with pregame at 635. Other games in the BBC include Pandora-Gilboa at Corey Rosson, Van Lu at Van Buren, and Riverdale at Arcadia. Arlington plays a non-league game tonight at home against Lucas. Finley plays its last ever football game in the Three Rivers Athletic Conference. The Trojans make a visit to longtime rival Lima Senior as both teams make a bid to make the playoffs. Trojan coach Stephan Adams on the showdown. I understand what's at stake for all of us in this moment. We have to go out there as a team and, and do our part. We're looking forward to it. We're excited. That game is on 1330 WFIN, WFIN WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM tonight with pregame at 630. Elsewhere in the track, Toledo Central Catholic can win the league outright if they top 2-7 St. Francis. Whitmer is at Fremont Ross, and Clay visits St. John's. In the Northwest Conference, Columbus Grove aims to earn a better seed for their home playoff game next week when they head to Bluffton tonight. Grove coach Andy Schaefer on that rivalry game.
4: They're going to play with a lot of heart and they're going to play with a lot of passion. I mean, those guys, they really want to beat us because we've had their number the last few years.
2: Also in the NWC, Allen East can take home the solo crown with a win over Ada, Lipsick hosts Crestview, and Spencerville travels to Delphus Jefferson. In the Western Buckeye League, Ottawa Glandorf looks to wrap the season with a win when they host Kenton in a battle of one and eight teams. That will air on our sister station 106.3, The Fox. Defiance is at Wapak, Salina heads to St. Mary's, and Bath hosts Van Wert to round out the WBL schedule. In the Northern Buckeye Conference, Elmwood plays its last home football game in the league at home with Rossford. The Eagles can clinch a home game next week with a win. Undefeated Eastwood takes home the hardware if it can get a win at home over Otsego. Carey and Seneca East face off for the Northern 10 title. A carry win, and the Blue Devils have it alone. A win by the Tigers, and the teams share that championship. The rest of the N10 schedule sees Buckeye Central at Colonel Crawford, Bucyrus at Mohawk, and Winford at Upper Sandusky. Once more, it's Findlay at Lima Senior on WFIN, Kenton at Ottawa glandorf on 106.3 The Fox, and Liberty Benton at Macomb on 100.5. I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. There's some Halloween nonsense in the broken news this morning. A man in Mississippi is facing charges after allegedly chasing a woman down the street while wearing a Halloween mask. Incident took place this week just south of the Tennessee-Mississippi border in South Haven, Mississippi. Uh, Police say Rashi France jumped out of a vehicle and started running toward the woman, terrifying her. She said when the man stopped chasing her, he began laughing. Police found a white Halloween mask in uh, Mr. Francis car, but he told them he was only a witness to the crime and picked up the mask because it was cool. They didn't buy it. He now faces charges of assault and causing physical fear. So don't do that. Don't just chase random people down the street. That'll get you into trouble every single time. Uh, Elsewhere, and more Halloween nonsense, a Texas woman is using some frisky ghosts for profit this Halloween. Linda Hill uh, owns a home. There's actually a manor that in the 1800s was a brothel. And she says that spirits from that era still roam the halls looking for uh, some affection. <laughs> the residence is called the Hill House Manor, now a hot spot for tourists who want their own spooky encounter <laughs> in the days when the, when the home was a brothel. Uh, Ms. Hill and uh, some of her visitors say that they have heard compliments and and groans and all kinds of. Eerie sounds. There's also a deep well that guests can look into and ponder the uh, fate of many souls from the past. Because of these strange happenings in her home, the light... See, she didn't always uh, use this as a tourist attraction. She actually tried to rent out the home, but the longest renter only lasted six months before they were driven away. (laughs) So, I guess... You make uh, lemons. Uh, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And uh, so that's what she has done, turned that into a tourist attraction for Halloween. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, in the uh, broken news. The city of San Francisco has revealed a plan to install a public restroom in uh, Town Square in one neighborhood. Uh, but what is raising eyebrows... Is the price tag now? This is a public restroom that they are making, uh, that they are building, uh, at a cost of one point seven million dollars <laughs> to build a public restroom. One point seven million. It's one hundred fifty square feet would ha- have just one single stall. Residents are perplexed by the high cost. The Recreation and Parks Department and Department of Public Works are working together to construct the bathroom (laughs) because this bathroom is much more complicated than one agency can handle, apparently. So um, they say the expense is due to the cost of building in San Francisco. It is San Francisco, after all. But due to the backlash, they are considering shortening the timeline and using a prefab bathroom instead. So... Stay tuned. I'm sure that the people of San Francisco would be thrilled to have a prefab public bathroom in their town square. Um, (laughs) You can't have it both ways. But anyway, speaking of uh, San Francisco, this is weird. Authorities in the city by the bay are investigating a car that was found buried in the yard of a home. Uh, Landscapers discovered the car Thursday morning while working at a home in the San Francisco suburb of Atherton. Police say the car was buried under five feet of dirt and is believed to have been there since the 1990s, which is long before the current owners moved in. So the current owners are not like suspects or uh, being questioned in this. They had no idea it was there. Cadaver dogs were brought in, but no human remains were found. It appears that someone just buried a car for the heck of it. Uh, police did find bags of concrete in the vehicle. I'm not sure why would you, why would you put concrete in a, a vehicle you're burying? It's not like you're putting it in a lake or something, and you need to weigh it down. It's not going to come back up to the surface. But the uh, Atherton Police Department says they are investigating the motive and circumstances. Surrounding the incident. <laughs> how weird is that? I mean, how would you like to go out, you know, do some landscaping in your yard and find that there's a car buried in your backyard? Lo and behold, it's, it's weird. Um, other weird things in California. Speaking of cars in California and weird things, the morning commute in Los Angeles is always uh, a bit of a nightmare. Ask anyone who's lived there. But this one. Uh, really takes the cake. 36 drivers suffered flat tires on their cars on the 405 freeway near Mulholland Drive during the rush hour commute the other day after it is believed that a truck spilled either a box of nails or wooden blocks with nails in them onto the highway. <laughs> so, this truck's going down the highway spills a a box of nails presumably 36 drivers suffered flat tires the whole thing was a sort of a conga line of disabled vehicles on the side of the road an investigation into who or what caused the hazard exactly is ongoing no suspects have been identified i don't know whether there would be any arrests maybe for not securing a load i don't know it is believed the spillage was accidental. No one was injured, thank goodness. But can you imagine? I guess it would not be tough to explain to your boss why you were late for work if there were 35 other drivers <laughs> with, the, with the same excuse. But that's crazy. 36 drivers uh, with flat tires as a result. Not a great way to start your day. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, this... A story that's all kinds of bizarre. Imagine forking over a hundred grand, a hundred thousand dollars in an effort to look like Britney Spears and you're a guy. Los Angeles influencer Brian Ray is trying to surgically transform himself into pop star Britney Spears. He tells reporters he underwent over 100 surgical procedures to look like Brittany, and he's not done yet. The 31-year-old says he has undergone laser hair removal and eyelid lift, Botox injections. He's injected filler into his lips and fat into his cheeks. He also had a nose job, and he, he says, I am not finished. I am an ongoing work of art. Well... You can call it art if you want, but uh, Mr. Ray said his obsession with replicating Britney's perfection began when he was 17 and his mom paid for him to get veneers. He says he doesn't regret undergoing such a radical transformation and says when I look in the mirror at myself, I am very happy. Am I perfect? No, I'm human just like everyone else, but I aspire for a certain level of beauty And I draw my inspiration from Britney Spears. (laughs) He goes on to say, she will always be the pinnacle of beauty in my eyes, and I will always strive for a beauty like hers. As for those who may have a problem with his expensive pastime, he says, quote, it's not for everyone. And I'm not encouraging everyone to go out and get plastic surgery, but I'm encouraging everyone to be body positive in whatever way that looks like for you, unquote. So. $100,000 to look like Britney Spears. I'm not even sure Britney Spears would spend $100,000 to look like Britney Spears. You know, it's... There you go. Uh, That is to each his own, I guess. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news, which certainly is that this morning, brought to you as a public service, more or less of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-hmm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever.
5: Hi. Oh, hey.
0: Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTexts StopRex.org. A message from
1: NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN.
0: I'm now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It's all happened. I mean, it's happened to to all of us. Uh, every one of us have had this uh, situation where you're uh, in a room uh, or at a uh, uh, social situation or whatever. You find yourself at, a, uh, surrounded by uh, people that you don't know, that you don't know very well, or that you just know casually. Maybe you know their name, but you don't really know people. And and it brings up the question, do you make small talk or do you just stand there or sit there in silence? Um, according to a new survey of 1,000 people, seven in 10 of us would rather sit in silence than make small talk with people they don't know. 70% of <laughs> would would opt for that uncomfortable silence rather than make idle chit-chat. Two in three people admit that they stare into their cell phone rather than try to break the ice. We kind of use that as a way to avoid talking to people. Uh, when you break it down by age, 90% of Gen Zers admit to doing that. By comparison, just 30% of baby boomers. Uh, would do that. But overall, two and three uh, will use their cell phone as sort of that that barrier to build that wall uh, between ourselves and someone we don't know. 62% of those in the survey say that they do strike up conversations with uh, strangers at retail stores occasionally. Uh, 51% said that they have done that at the grocery store. 51% uh, do make an effort to make small talk at work with people that they don't know. If you work in a large office, maybe you don't know everyone, but you at least will make the effort. 46% of those in the poll say that they participate in idle chatter with their family members. You know, distant family members that you don't see all the time. Maybe you'll see them at the holiday time and, you know, don't have a whole lot to talk about. Not sure what you have in common. I thought it was interesting. Only 46% say that they would even participate in idle chatter with their family. Sixty nine percent say that they would rather make small talk with their friends. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. A lot of us even and it and it will happen sometimes, even with people that you know, well, friends, good friends, maybe you get together and you, you find that there's really not a whole lot to talk about. You don't have a whole lot of catching up to do, but we are, again, much more likely to make the effort. Half of the respondents in this survey say that they are inclined to make small talk just to be polite. However, that said, there are some dreaded topics that they hate for people to bring up. So if you are trying to make conversation with someone, the lamest icebreaker of all is asking what sports team someone is a fan of. That's the lamest of all, according to the survey. Are you a fan of such and such a sport team? Uh, Other lame icebreakers include, what do you do for a living? What is your job? What do you do for work? And are you married? Don't ask about those. Those are the ones that uh, people really do not like as a way of trying to make idle conversation. So something to think about the next time you're in a room full of people that you uh, don't know very well. And now once again, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio for another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning, Ky.
5: Good morning. I'm just trying to wake up. Bright-eyed and (laughs) bushy-tailed, as always. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Slept
0: in a little bit.
5: I slept in too much. That's
0: that's all right. That's all right. You're still you're here. I'm here. You didn't oversleep as long as you're here. That's right. If I had to go and wake you up, yeah, that would have
5: been bad. A
0: whole different uh, (laughs) issue. But here we are uh, (laughs) with a uh, collection of recipes. From Kyra's Kitchen, that begins with a white ravioli casserole.
5: Yes. Today. So, this is two packages of your 25 ounce bags of uh, frozen or pre made uh, cheese ravioli, mm-hmm. one 16 ounce package of Italian sausage that'll be crum- cooked and crumbled. Um, And then two 15-ounce jars of Alfredo sauce, six fresh basil leaves chopped, one cup of shredded Parmesan cheese, and a half a cup of shredded mozzarella cheese, and then black pepper. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees, uh, brown uh, sausage in pan, and crumble. Spread a half cup of your Alfredo sauce in the bottom of a 9-by-13-inch baking dish. Pour the sauce in the bottom in a bowl and add your chopped basil leaves and mix that up then layer your ravioli um so you are going to put a little bit of your sauce in the bottom of your pan, mm-hmm. and then layer ravioli on top of that, then your sausage on top of that, then some more Alfredo sauce on top of that, then <laughs> sprinkle with some pepper, and and then just keep doing that in layers. So you got a layered layers, casserole. Layered there. casserole, mm-hmm. and then at the end, then you are going to cover it with your um, with your cheese. And um, your parmesan cheese, your mozzarella cheese, and then bake in the oven for about thirty to thirty-five minutes until the edges are golden brown and bubbly. Yeah,
0: really simple, really easy. There. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the white ravioli casserole to go along with that. We have a chipped beef cheese ball.
5: Yes. So, <laughs> so this is. Um, I I'm kind of preparing this. Uh, like, cause my my mom's birthday is coming up, if we're to ah, ready to celebrate her okay. birthday. So, and so these are kind of the things, some the, of the things, the type that of things. So these yes. are, so these would yeah. be good yes. for uh, a, a gathering, nice yeah. family dinner, birthday yeah. party type something, thing, something mm-hmm. like that. That's yep. kind
0: of the uh, idea, the yeah. impetus for Correct. these. Okay, Correct. so the chipped chief, chipped chip beef. Cheese ball. Yes.
5: So two eight-ounce packages of your cream cheese softened, five ounces of dried beef chopped, um, one cup of chopped sweet onion, one cup of shredded cheese, cheddar cheese, one tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce, and two teaspoons of salad supreme seasoning. Um, And then in a large bowl, add your cream cheese, your chipped beef, your onion, your cheddar cheese. Uh, Your Worcestershire sauce can't (laughs) see. I can't talk today. I'm sorry, people. That's a a good one. I know. What was that again? What kind of sauce? I'm going on uh, Worcestershire Worcestershire sauce. sauce. There you go. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) (laughs) And and your seasoning. Mix all that uh, up well until it's all incorporated. Then place on a plastic on plastic wrap. and then seal, kind of bring it all up mm-hmm. together, um, and and then turn it over and make it a round ball. Kind of form it into a ball. Yeah, form it into a ball. The ball. Hence With, the name, yeah. the
0: Chipped Beef yeah, Cheese Ball. Yeah, but use your
5: plastic, because then you're not going to get all that all over your hands. Gotcha. So you're using your the plastic mm, to kind there of be the... There you go. Then chill for at least an hour until firm. Unroll the cheese ball from the plastic wrap, place on a plate, and serve with crackers.
0: Now, what kind of crackers would you serve with this? Because I like, uh, I like Ritz crackers. Just plain old Ritz crackers, or would Ritz you go Ritz with crackers. more of a sort of you a specialty? You could do the party crackers. Yeah, yeah the, the, the party wheat crackers. crackers. Yeah, the, that the, kind of thing.
5: The, the sesame crackers. Any type I would of think crackers. the
0: sesame crackers would be really mm-hmm. good yep. uh, with that. Okay, so yep. the chipped beef cheese ball, and then for dessert we have cinnamon sugar blonde Yes,
5: so a half a cup of butter melted, uh, one cup brown sugar, one large egg beaten, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, one cup of flour, a pinch of salt, five teaspoons of sugar, one teaspoon of cinnamon, and a quarter teaspoon of uh, ground clove. So pre Preheat your oven to 350 degrees, grease an eight by eight uh, baking dish with parchment paper and and then add some parchment paper. Mm-hmm. If you don't have it, you don't have to put the parchment paper down. Um, add the butter and the brown sugar to, the, uh, to a medium sized bowl. Stir until combined. Then stir in your egg and your vanilla. Then stir in your flour and your salt until all that is well combined. Spread that into your prepared pan. Then combine your sugar, your cinnamon, your clove, sprinkle that, um, over the top, um, and then uh, bake for about 22 minutes or until a tester comes out clean in the middle. So, and then cool before simple cutting.
0: As simple as that. Yep. So, the recipes for the white ravioli casserole, the chipped beef cheese ball, and the cinnamon sugar blondies, yep. all really easy oh, uh, yeah. recipes yes. uh, today. Uh, really nothing really easy. Uh, complicated nope. there, but delicious stuff. And yes. uh, those can be found on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN, on Facebook. We'll also. Uh, uh share those on the uh, WFIN uh, yep. Facebook page but uh, like the Kyra's Kitchen page uh, yep. for all of the latest recipes we also have them linked up at goodmornings.net It'll just take mm-hmm. you right there and uh, as we've said uh, time and time again, if yep. you have a recipe that you have that's a, like a family favorite, especially yep. now as we're coming up toward the oh, holiday yeah. season, yes, uh, because I know this is your favorite time yes. of the I year love this. Uh, with I love Thanksgiving Christmas. and Christmas coming up <laughs> and the holidays and yep. all of that, doing a lot Just of baking together. and a lot yep. of, cooking. Lots of cooking. If
5: cooking.
0: you have a favorite family recipe you would like to share, uh, you can do that on the Kairos Kitchen Facebook page. Yep. If you uh, like that page, you can yep. share it that way. You can email it to us. Good mornings at wfin. If there's something you're looking for, Mm -hmm. again, maybe you've got a family gathering coming up and you're looking for something Something. in particular, uh, we'll get Kyra on the case and she can help out. So uh, email us or uh, share those uh, recipe requests. Or maybe, maybe uh, one of our recipes has inspired you to get a little creative yourself. You have uh, something that... You've used you used one of these if recipes, you basic, or something
5: like that, or did yeah. something different to it. Yeah, you know, let me know. Yeah, I mean, we I love that be, type of stuff.
0: Be more than happy yes. to uh, share that as well. So, again, uh, like the uh, Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook for uh, all of the latest recipes and fun stuff yes. there. My wife, Kyra, with us this morning. Ky, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that, of course, goodmornings.net. On a personal note, I want to thank everyone who took time to offer their condolences on the death of my father earlier this week i mentioned that my dad had passed away after a lengthy illness i will be away early next week as we uh, lay him to rest there will be no podcast monday or tuesday we'll be back with an all-new good mornings on wednesday so until then that is good mornings for this morning now that you have had a good morning going out making a good day a great weekend we'll catch you back here next week